We're in a series in which we're looking at Old Testament prophecies as they are fulfilled in the New Testament, specifically Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah as the New Testament quotes them. And if you've been uh, for any of the other Sundays in this series, you'll have the memorable image of Rico doing something like this, putting on his pilot's goggles, putting on his flying hat, and getting us to board a plane all the way back to first century Jerusalem. I promised him I'd do this, and I immediately regret it. (laughs) We're going to be doing the same thing this week. We're going to be packing our suitcase, pulling on our pilot's goggles, and boarding a plane back to first century Jerusalem, and then from first century Jerusalem all the way back to the ancient Near East. Our first destination today is Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem in the first century AD, but I'm afraid we've had a spot of turbulence, and we're actually arriving in our passage in a sermon that's midway through. We're arriving in verse 29 with the Apostle Peter preaching to a gathered crowd. And as our reading starts, uh, we sneak in halfway through the sermon, there in verse 29, and we hear Peter say the following slightly strange thing. Verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. Peter has been speaking for 13 verses already, and as we slip in, we find Peter pronouncing that King David, who reigned 10 centuries previously, died, remained dead, and is still dead. And on the surface, at least, that feels to me like a really strange thing to include in a sermon. Peter goes on, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Why would Peter feel the need to affirm that David remains dead? So here's the question we're going to kick off with this morning as we settle into Peter's sermon midway through. What events must have been set in motion in order to cause Peter to stand up and publicly affirm that King David was still dead? And our answer begins a few verses previously in verse 11 with the unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praise of God. When me and Katie first moved to London, we knew we were going to love this city, but what we didn't quite realize was that in some ways it would kind of ruin us for other cities. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Oxford and Durham and Southampton and Guildford, but I don't ever feel quite as at home in them as I used to for the slightly counterintuitive reason that almost everyone in those cities looks and sounds exactly like me. And when I'm back in those places, I can't quite shake the thoughts that they're missing half the world's nations and languages. London has kind of ruined us for other cities But I think we would have liked Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, because Jerusalem in Acts 2 is overflowing with nations. Verse 19, Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya, Romans, Cretans and Arabs. Jerusalem is bursting with nations and languages. But what's unignorable about the events in Acts 2 isn't just the presence of so many nations and languages in one city. 
That's not what makes Peter remind the crowd that David is still dead. What makes Peter remind the crowd that David is still dead is what the people from those nations are able to see and hear. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya, Romans, Cretans and Arabs, verse 11, hearing the wonders of God declared in their own languages. That's the thing that is unignorable. What's unignorable is the supernatural, multilingual praises of God. And verse 12, it leaves the crowd amazed and perplexed and asking one another, what can this mean? That's why Peter is reminding the crowd that King David is long dead. This is the event that needs an explanation from him. The unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praise of the wonderful works of God. And in our passage today, Peter provides the explanation by putting on his flying hat and his pilot's goggles. Because Peter wants us to know that what happened in first century Jerusalem is the prophetic fulfillment of a whole string of Old Testament destinations. Why are the nations hearing the unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praises of God? Well, it isn't drunkenness. It's only nine in the morning, he says. It is prophetic fulfillment. So grab those pilot's goggles because verse 17, this is Joel chapter two. This is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Strap on your seatbelt because verse 25, this is Psalm chapter 16. This is the resurrection of David's descendants. Prepare yourself for takeoff. Verse 34, this is Psalm 110. This is the ascension of God's promised king. And how do each of those Old Testament destinations link together? Peter strings them all together in verse 33, the key verse, I think, in our passage today. Verse 33, look down. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Okay, start at the end of that verse and follow the logic with me. What the crowd is seeing and hearing means something. Verse 33, it means the promised Holy Spirit has been poured out. And how has that come about? Well, the Holy Spirit has been poured out because, verse 33, God's king has been exalted to his right-hand side. That's the logic. And do you see, that is what Peter has traced out through the Old Testament. That's the flight path that he's mapped through this chapter. What the crowd is seeing and hearing means, verse 17, that the promised spirit has been pulled out. That's Joel 2, Pilate Peter's first destination. The promised Holy Spirit has been pulled out, which means, verse 25, David's descendant has been resurrected, Psalm 16. Peter's second destination. And verse 34, it means that God's promised king has ascended to the throne. Psalm 110, Pilate Peter's third destination. This is why Peter is reminding the crowd that David is still dead. This is how he's answering the question in verse 12. The nations are seeing and hearing the wonders of God declared in their own languages. And what does that mean? Well, the Old Testament has the answer. 
it means the king has pulled out his spirit, which means Jesus is the one who has been exalted as the promised king. That's Peter's logic. That's his explanation, and it's his flight path right through the Old Testament. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop off at each part of that journey. Point one, the unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praise of God means, point two, that the promised king has poured out his spirit. That's the first destination on Peter's flight path through the Old Testament, the next step in Peter's logic. There is an explanation for what this crowd can see in here. And the explanation is that the Spirit has been poured out. It's the only real explanation that's possible because you will not hear the praises of one God in the languages of every nation unless something utterly unprecedented has happened. For century after century, there were as many gods praised as there were languages and nations to praise them in, and usually many hundreds of times more than that. Praise of Jupiter in the languages of Rome, praise of Zeus in the languages of Athens and Sparta, praise of Odin in Norway, praise of Itzmana in Mexico, praise of the gods of the Medes in the languages of the Medes, of the gods of Libya in the languages of Libya, and the gods of Asia in the languages of Asia. But here in Acts 2, we are hearing something unique and unprecedented. One song for one God in a superabundance of different languages. All the languages in Jerusalem at that time brought together in the harmonious worship of a single God. The languages of Greece praising one God. The languages of Rome, praising one God. The languages of Asia, praising one God. The languages of the Parthians, Medes and Elamites, Cretans, Arabs and Libyans, praising one God in one harmonious song. That does not happen naturally. That is supernatural. It is prophetic fulfillment. It is the multilingual song of eternity breaking out in first century Jerusalem, and it means something. It means that the promised spirit has been poured out. When Peter looks around at the crowd and hears the praises of God in the languages of the nations, he knows that the spirit has been poured out. And friends, the same is true today. When you hear God's praises in the language of the nations, it is a sure sign that the Spirit has been poured out. In Acts 2, it was a sudden, Spirit-inspired intervention, a group of Galileans declaring God's praises in languages that they had never learnt before. But the multilingual, multinational praise of God is just as much of a work of the Spirit today as it was then. The disciples then were speaking languages that they would not have known on their own, And the nations today, well, we are praising a God that we could never have known on our own. In Acts 2, the Spirit loosed the disciples' tongues. And today, the Spirit is loosing the hearts of the nations. 
So when you head to Norway or Sweden, and instead of hearing the praises of Odin or Thor, you hear crowds praising Jesus, that is a sign that the Spirit has been poured out. When you head to Mexico or Guatemala, and instead of hearing the praises of Itzmana or Chuck, you hear crowds praising Jesus, that is a sign that the Spirit has been poured out. When you head to India or Fiji, or China, or Nigeria, or Romania, or Ethiopia, or when you walk through the streets of Marleban, or Hammersmith, or Hackney, and you hear Jesus' praises declared in as many languages as there are nations, that is a sign that something supernatural has happened. The unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praise of God means that the promised king has poured out his promised spirit the foretaste of the song that will echo through eternity. London has slightly ruined me for other cities. And I have to say that All Souls has kind of done something similar. I've spent a lot of my life around Christians who look and sound and speak exactly like me. But at All Souls, I've been surrounded by more languages and nations praising God than I had ever heard or seen before. And it has been a powerful message to me about what our God is like and what the future holds. And so at this point, I want to say a particular thank you to some people who are here this morning. Friends, if English isn't your heart language, or the UK isn't where you grew up, or if there aren't many people at All Souls who look like you, or there aren't many people here today who sound like you or speak like you, can I say thank you? Thank you for turning up each Sunday. Thank you for filling this room with your voice. And thank you for bringing your culture to Jesus' feet. I've spoken to enough people in your position to know that those are not always easy things to do. And that at all souls, we don't always make that easy for you. And thank you particularly if you are the only person here on Sundays who speaks your language, or you're the only person here on Sundays who is from your country or your heritage. Friends, your worship tells the world and me and each of us what our God is like and what the future will bring. You don't get what's happening in Jerusalem in Acts 2 unless the promised king has poured out his spirit. You don't get what's happening around the world unless the promised king has poured out his promised spirit. And you don't get what happens in this room unless the promised king has poured out his promised spirit. The only way that the nations see and hear and declare the praises of God is if the king has promised, has poured out his promised spirit. And it's at this point in Peter's sermon that he turns his attention from the spirit that's been poured out to the promised king who has done the pouring. Because you don't pour out the Holy Spirit when you're lying in the dust of death. There's only one place from which the promised king pours out the promised spirit, not from the grave, but from the right hand of the Father. Not from the realm of the dead, but from the highest throne in the highest heaven. 
the prophets, wrote about this day. And David sang psalms about this day, but he wasn't singing about himself. He can't have been. That's Peter's point in verse 29 as we're sneaking in midway through his sermon. The patriarch David died and was buried, verse 29, and his tomb is here to this day. David wasn't the promised king who would pour out the promised spirit. He couldn't have been because he died and he's still dead. And you do not pour out the spirit from the grave. David wasn't singing about himself. No, he was singing about Jesus. Verse 30, he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Point one, the unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praises of God means point two, that the promised king has poured out his promised spirit, which means point three, that Jesus has been exalted as the promised king. What happened on earth in Acts 2 is ultimately the result of something that happened in heaven in Acts 1. Joel prophesied about what would happen down here on earth, and David sang about what would happen in heaven. In Acts 2, God poured out his spirit on earth, and his praises were declared in the languages of the nations. And that happened because in Acts 1, Jesus was exalted and raised to the right hand of the Father in heaven. It happened because when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Lord God said to the Lord Jesus, verse 34, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The reason that the unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praises of Jesus exploded out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even in the face of intense persecution, is that the Spirit has been poured out by the Lord Jesus. And the reason Jesus can do that is that he has been exalted to the highest throne in the highest heaven, at the Father's right hand, to receive the Holy Spirit on our behalf. The unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praises of God are assurance and proof that Jesus really has been raised from the dead, that he really has been exalted to heaven, that he really is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he really has received the Spirit on our behalf. The unignorable, supernatural, multilingual praise of God is assurance and proof, verse 36, that God has made this Jesus, whom human beings had crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus, this crucified Jesus, this bruised and beaten Jesus, this gentle and lowly Jesus, that is the one who God has put on heaven's throne and the songs of the nations praising him are assurance and proof to us of that fact. Friends, there is a human being sitting at the right hand of the father 
And it's not a corrupt politician. It's not a warmongering dictator. It's not a white supremacist or a predatory religious leader or a self-righteous billionaire. It is this crucified Jesus. Heaven's throne does not belong to the most ambitious, to the most selfish, to the most ruthless or the most cruel. Heaven's throne belongs to this Jesus, most gentle, most humble, most lowly, and most kind. Brothers and sisters, the future is held by hands that were pierced for you. History serves the one who stooped down to serve you. And one day all of his enemies will be made into a footstool for feet that were pierced for you. Every power that crushes his people will be crushed. As every language is brought to life in his praise. So all souls, take heart and be assured this morning. When you hear Jesus's praises being declared in Hebrew and English and Hokkien and Farsi, when you see Jesus's praises being declared in Nairobi and Edinburgh and Rio and Manila, then you can be assured of this thing. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus has been exalted as the promised king, and this Jesus has poured out his promised spirit on the nations. But friends, let's not be content just to listen to those praises. Friends, let's pray to and sing to Jesus in as many languages as we can speak. We pray in English from the front to all souls, and we do that because English is the most understood language in London. But it would be a very small God who could only understand as many languages as your average Englishman. A God who could only be praised in English would not be worth praising. So if your heart language isn't English, can I extend an invitation to you? Next time you're praying with someone from All Souls, why not tell that person what you're going to pray in advance so that they can say amen at the end? But then why don't you pray out loud in your heart language? And if you can only speak English, why not ask a brother or sister here this morning to teach you a prayer of praise to Jesus in a language that they can speak? Let's tell the world and let's tell one another who sits on the throne of heaven by declaring his praises in as many languages as we can muster. And one more thing before I close. If you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, thank you so much for coming along and for patiently listening along to me. Here's the question I want to leave you with. Can your ideas about Jesus fit the number of languages in which he is praised? Is the Jesus you've rejected big enough to explain all the languages that he's worshipped in? And if there isn't room in your thinking about Jesus for all of the multilingual, multinational praise that he has given day after day around this world, will you start to think bigger thoughts about him? I'm going to pray for us. And as I do that, I'm going to invite the band to come up and join me. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, when we look at the nations and hear your praises declared around the world, we know that you are indeed the Lord of heaven and earth. 
We praise you as God's promised king. We praise you for pouring out your spirit. And we praise you that one day, when your enemies are made your footstool, we will be gathered around your throne, singing your praises in more languages than we can count. Until that day comes, would you keep us assured that you are on your throne? And would you strengthen us in this room and our brothers and sisters around the world to sing your praises in as many languages as we can muster. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.